anything that happens here and now can go to literally millions of people, or why not billions, why limit it? Billions of people, why not? Um, that is actually what I wanted to talk about and reflect upon tonight on Gimel Tamas on the, on the day of the Rebbe's yard site. The idea that something can appear to be small, it can appear to be just happening in this space, with the people that are present physically, and that in reality, from a spiritual point of view, which is not limited by time and space, the significance of the moment is infinite. And it's so hard to speak about the Rebbe, but I think if we wanted to take one path to trying to say something, to put into words some idea, I think that might be a good way to try to do it and to basically say, <sighs> the Rebbe's view of reality was an infinite one. And infinity is a misunderstood concept. People tend to think of infinity as that which is massive, that which is so huge that nothing is too big for it. But uh, the truth is, mathematically, that's not even infinity. Because infinity is not just that which is so big that, that nothing is too big for it. True infinity is also that for which nothing is too small. So a galaxy is like a molecule, but in turn, just by the same very same token, a molecule is a galaxy. That's infinity. So the Rebbe's view, we know nothing was too big for the Rebbe. No goal was too ambitious. After the Holocaust, the question of Jewish continuity was really seriously considered. Is there a future for Judaism? Especially Torah-observant Judaism. And when, when everyone else was speaking about survival, the Rebbe was thinking in terms that at that time could only be described as sci-fi. Science fiction, not a, there's no basis in reality, at least the way anyone else was looking at it at the time, that we are going to conquer the world for goodness, to bring the Shekhinah, to bring the Divine Presence back to the world, and to, to make this world perfect. A world that had seen Hitler and the Holocaust was going to be healed and become perfect and become godly. And for the Rebbe, that wasn't a job that was too big to accomplish. No, it can be done. And we can break it down into steps, and we can make a system, and we can send out shluchim. So nothing was too big. But by the same exact token, nothing was too small. There was a shliach from Melbourne, Australia. Chaim Gutnick came to the Rebbe, and told him about his plans in Melbourne, and 
the Rebbe suggested to him that it was time to start teaching Taras HaMeshpacha, the laws of family purity, mikveh. And Rabbi Gutnick felt that the community in Melbourne was not ready for that. You know, it can be a sensitive subject. Talking to people about their personal life, their intimate life, it's, it's, it's a difficult sell. And uh, Rabbi Gutnick didn't want to flat out say that he didn't feel the community was ready for it, but um, he sort of didn't give the most enthusiastic response, and the Rebbe told him, no, 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 you should do it, and uh, it's going to be good. So he went back to Melbourne, and with his Rebetzin, he started planning uh, a course in Taras HaMishpacha. And the Rebbe said, it's going to be good, so they rented a hall, they got a venue, you know, to make sure they had enough seating for all the people who were going to come, and they took out full-page ads in the, in the newspaper to advertise, they're going to have a class in family purity. And uh, they promoted the class for weeks. And the night of the class, one woman showed up. Now, that's worse than nobody showing up. <laughs> because, <laughs> right? If nobody shows up, what do you do? <laughs> you call it a day, you go home, and then maybe even you post online afterwards. It was a great crowd, wonderful evening. Wish you could have been there. <laughs> That's because no witnesses, no bystanders, right? <coughs> but this is one woman showed up. So he apologized to her and he said, I'm sorry, I don't know where the crowd is. <laughs> and uh, so she said, I I'm, I'm ready to learn. <laughs> so he taught this one woman. And it, but it was, it was a series it wasn't a one-night thing. It was a series of classes. So he said, don't worry. Next week, it'll be better. And what did they do? They doubled down on the advertising. They made a bigger advertising campaign, so the next week would be a, a real crowd. And the second week of the class came, and one woman showed up, the same woman. Nobody else, just that one woman. And Rabbi Gutnick apologized. I'm sorry. I, I don't know where the crowd is. She said, it's okay. I'm ready to learn. I'll learn with you. So they learned. And it went on like this for weeks. And they finished the whole course, whatever it was, however many weeks the course was supposed to be. And this one woman, she learned Tadas HaMishpacha. She learned family purity, laws of mikvah. And that was it. Nobody else showed up. So being in uh, Melbourne, which is very far away, it's not like uh, Rabbi Gutnick went back and forth to New York all the time. It was more of a special trip. So the next time he was in Yechidus, he was in a private audience with the Rebbe, was, was a year later. And he had a year's worth of reports. We called it a duch, din v'cheshben. He had a year of reports of what did they accomplish in Melbourne, all the different programs, the classes, the outreach they were doing. And so he wrote up a nice report. The Rebbe loved reports. The Rebbe was always asking reports. Tell me what's going on. Always that Rebbe wanted updates. So Rabbi Gutnick wrote a whole nice report, what's going on in, in, in Melbourne, and after, but he didn't write the debacle of the Taras HaMishpacha series of classes because it was embarrassing. One woman showed up. So it wasn't included in the duch, it wasn't in the, in the write-up. And the Rebbe went through the write-up, and afterwards the Rebbe said, what's with the... Uh, Taras HaMeshpacha classes that we discussed 
the last time you were here? You know, that's the, the most uncomfortable question that Rabbi Gutner could have been asked. So he, he said sheepishly that um, we did it. We advertised, we rented a hall, and it was a failure. The whole series of classes, just one woman showed up. And the Rebbe looked very serious and said to Rabbi Gutnik, Zogmir, tell me something. Vifil mames hot meisher abeno gehat. Mer How many mothers did meisher abeno, did Moses have? More than one? And that was the whole answer. Rabbi Gutnik understood. It takes one mother to produce a Moshe Rabbeinu. One mother comes to a class and you can help her. It's not just her. It's the ripple effect. The infinite ripple effect that doesn't stop with one person. How can it stop with one person? Because each one of us is infinite. Each one of us is a soul which is infinite and eternal. And by definition, anything that touches a soul becomes infinite and eternal. And it won't stay just in this room. It goes viral, like Reb Nachi mentioned. But this was going viral before the internet. Maybe the whole reason we have the internet is to have a marshal, to have a living metaphor, to start to understand Infinity, the infinity that goes on in this world when one soul reaches out to another. There's a line of poetry that I, I've always found poignant from William Blake. He said, uh, to see a world in a grain of sand and heaven in a wildflower Hold infinity in the palm of your hand and eternity in an hour. I, it's so Hasidic. <laughs> I looked it up, by the way. I said, when did he write that? It was, uh, it was 1803. It was the year that the Alter Rebbe, the Balatanya, put, put out the first Siddur with Chassidus, with Chassidic uh, commentary based on the teachings of Chassidus and according to the prayer rite of the, the Arizal. So that idea, I mean, that's pure Chassidus. To see a world in a grain of sand and heaven in a wildflower. Hold infinity in the palm of your hand and eternity in an hour. That's Teres HaBalshamtov. And I guess, you know, trickle, trickle down effect, you know, by the time the Balshamtov started teaching it, then, then it was available in the world. And William Blake was able to put it into his beautiful English. But this is the concept. We don't understand, we have no clue, we do not fathom 
the ripple effect, the universal cosmic repercussions of everything that happens, and the power, therefore, that we have. But the Rebbe, having an infinite view, saw the significance, was tuned into the significance, and was able to plan accordingly. And that's why we all understand, those of us who have been influenced by the Rebbe, but that means really, at this point, all of us, whether we know it or not. In this generation, we understand that every good deed counts. Every mitzvah. Oh, what's the point? Somebody puts on tefillin on a street corner one time. Maybe he'll never do it again. Okay, but that moment exists for eternity. That moment is everything. And a mitzvah is infinite, just like God who gave the mitzvahs. And the moment is infinite. So Zalman told a story. Rabbi Wallowick. He's my friend, though. I call him Zalman. He told a story. It's good to have friends. I don't have too many, so Baruch Hashem. I'm choosy with my friends. <sighs> Zalman told a story, and I know that story. I've known it for years. It's an old story. We all know that story in Chabad. But I'm going to retell the story that he told because now it's a different story to me. It's a completely different story to me today than when I heard it years ago. And when I tell you the story, I want you to understand that the Rebbe's infinite view and the Rebbe's cosmic plan continues to unfold in our lives and every moment we become more and more aware of its significance and how it touches each and every one of us. So here's a story, and you all know the story because you heard it 20 minutes ago. I'll tell it like this. I'll start with a 12-year-old kid in Curaçao, which is an island in the Netherlands, Antilles, got kicked out of school. It was a religious school. That's all they had on the island. The Jewish boy refused to go along with the, with the prayers. So he got kicked out. His father asked him, what are you doing? Do you even go to school? No, he goes and plays golf. And uh, became a contentious issue. And they were getting letters, you know, truancy uh, letters. Your child cannot be wandering around. He has to go to school. And this Jewish boy didn't want to go to this non-Jewish school. So the father's at wit's end. He doesn't know what to do. He's desperate. And uh, he has a dream, and he remembers his grandmother telling him, if you're ever in trouble, the Lubavitcher Rebbe can help you. Next day, he goes to shul. He has the custodian open up the Oren, the, the holy ark where the Torahs are kept, and he cries. And he says, my grandmother told me if I'm ever in trouble, the Lubavitcher Rebbe can help me. Well, I'm in trouble right now because my son won't go to school because he's Jewish, he won't go to the non-Jewish school, and the whole island is upset at me. 
Meanwhile, back in Brooklyn, people know where Brooklyn is. Rabbi Moshe Katlarski gets a call in the middle of the night. Like Reb Zalman said, that's Reb Zalman Shver, as he mentioned, his father-in-law. Rabbi Chadakov, the chief secretary, asks Rabbi Katlarski, did you wash your hands? Which means the Reb is on the line. And he's told, go to Kursau. And that was it. That was the entire instruction. Go to Kursau. The Rebbe is telling, go to Kursau. So he goes. And uh, he asked the cab driver, take me to the synagogue. He didn't even know where he's going. He didn't know who he's supposed to meet with. He just knows the Rebbe told him to go. So he gets there and he tells the cab driver, take me to the synagogue. Now I'll tell you a little Ashkoha Protis. The oldest synagogue in the Western Hemisphere is in Curacao. It's called the Mikveh Yisrael Emanuel Synagogue. And it was founded by, by Sephardic Jews from, from, the, from the Netherlands in the 1600s. It's historical. It's a historical shul. If you get into any cab in Curacao and say, take me to the synagogue, that's where they would take it because that's, it's, a, it's a historical landmark. This was the one cab driver in Curacao who never heard of it. And he took Rabbi Katlarski to some rinky-dink little shul. That was the shul where this father of this truant boy was standing before the open ark and pouring out his heart and crying and saying the only thing he knew to say because he remembered in a dream that his grandmother, his departed grandmother, had told him when you're in trouble, ask the Lubavitcher Rebbe. He comes out of shul and Rabbi Kalarski is there. I'm here from the Lubavitcher Rebbe. I was sent from Brooklyn, from Crown Heights. The Rebbe sent me. Boom, that's it. Now he knows why he's there. For this one Jew, for this one family. And it's very moving. It's very moving that the Lubavitcher Rebbe, with everything on his plate, running a global organ organization, is sending someone to go help out one family. It's very moving. Someone mentioned the letter. I actually printed the letter. I just want to read part of it. So this is the thank you letter that the father writes to the Rebbe through Rebbe Katlarski. Thank you for basically making time for a, a small Jew from Curacao. So, so the Rebbe writes back in English, it's an English letter. Mr. Chaim Yosef Grisman, P.O. Box 2073, Breederstrasse 74, Curacao, N.A., which I think is not non-applicable. Non I think it's Netherlands Antilles. You don't see that abbreviation too often. Greeting and blessing. I was pleased to receive your regards through our esteemed mutual friends. I must, however, take exception to you referring to yourself as, quote, a small Jew from Curacao. There is surely no need to emphasize to you at length that every Jew, man or woman, has a nefesh elikis, that means a godly soul, which is a, quote, part of godliness above, as, as explained in the Tanya beginning of chapter 2. 
Thus, there is no such thing as a small Jew, and a Jew must never underestimate his or her tremendous, underlying the word tremendous, potential. I read that letter probably a hundred times. I once uh, wrote a sermon about it. I've heard the story for years. It's a known story. But it hits differently tonight. Because two nights ago, we celebrated Baruch Hashem, the Vort L'chaim of my son Yisrael in Crown Heights, who was engaged to Malki Greisman, the granddaughter of the recipient of this letter, the daughter of the truant boy who wouldn't attend the non-Jewish school. And now I find out a story that I've known for years was really about me. That the Rebbe, in his infinite view, waking up Rabbi Katlarski in the middle of the night, was thinking way, way beyond something that happened in 1983. That's when it happened, by the way. And I'm sure way beyond whatever we know about in 2023, because the story's just getting started, isn't it? You ask, what's our connection to the Rebbe on his 29th Yorzeit? 29 years is a long time. There are people who were born, grew up, got married, started families of their own, all in the past 29 years, all after the Rebbe's passing. So how fresh, how up-to-date can our relationship be? So I'm telling you, the Rebbe just did a miracle for me that I just found out about two nights ago. But I don't think I'm special. I believe the Labavitcher Rebbe is a tzaddik nister, a hidden tzaddik. You're going to say, how is the Labavitcher Rebbe a hidden tzaddik? He's world famous. Chabad houses all over the world. Because as much as we think we know, it's not the tip of the iceberg. It's not even the tip of the iceberg. I knew the story of no small Jew for years. And I didn't know it was about me and my family and my son. More and more is revealed all the time. Everyone in this room, I promise you, and I would bet anything on it, is the recipient of miracles of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, whether you know about it or you don't know about it yet. For our part, because the Rebbe didn't like inspiration. The Rebbe didn't just like getting people all worked up and then, Shekayach, Lachayim, and let's move on. No. Let me talk practical. Like the Rebbe said all the time. I want to talk practical. 
the Rebbe has been pulling strings and continues to pull strings to make stuff happen in our families, in our lives, on a massive scale and also on an intimately personal scale. If you are the recipient of such loving care, then please get up and show the world your infinity. Whatever it is you think is too big for you to accomplish, go out and do double that to start with. Because there's no small Jew. You are infinite. You are eternal. And the Rebbe, with his infinite view, saw the eternality and the infinity within you and planned accordingly, whether you know about it yet or not yet. Whatever I think that I owe the Rebbe, whatever I thought, I found out a couple days ago it's a whole lot more. We're not here to be inspired. Inspiration, as far as I'm concerned, is a dirty word in Chabad. Chabad, the Alter Rebbe started Chabad, you know what that means? That means the intellect. We're not here to get all emotionally enthralled and excited and dance around and call it an evening. Chabad means moichen, it means the mind, it means a paradigm shift, it means seeing the world in a new light and acting accordingly. When you know something, you can never unknow it. When you find out that there's a Rebbe, a Rosh B'nai Yisrael, Resh Beis Yud, literally ahead of the Jewish people, who sees the big picture, who sees the infinite view, and is taking care of everything from the most massive to the tiniest, most nitty-gritty detail. When you know that, you can never unknow it. And then you have to live accordingly. Go out and do something. Reach out to another Jew. Whatever it is that you have in your Jewish home, whatever it is that your family possesses Jewishly, share it, give it away. This is another secret of the Rebbe, that ultimately the only Yiddishkeit that any of us truly have is whatever Yiddishkeit we are currently actively giving away to others. And very, very soon, we're going to see how all of our work and all of the things we've been doing has had infinite significance. It's all going to be revealed to us. The whole big picture, like Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story. We're going to see the big picture. We're going to see what the Rebbe saw all along when Mashiach comes. And we'll finally see, we'll finally see reality as it is. And we'll see the magnitude of our good deeds. And we'll see the magnitude of each and every one of us. And we'll see the Rebbe again. L'chaim. So that was just an excerpt from our Gimel Tamas event at Chabad of the Five Towns. To watch the entire Fabrengen, the entire two and a half hour event, click over here.